Right, as you heard earlier, I have another program on Radio 3 every Saturday morning. That's called Lion Rockers. And that's when I get the chance to sit down with some of the familiar voices and faces of Hong Kong. Now, last week, to mark the start of Season 2 of the series, I got the chance to chat with Sally Lowe, the founder of the Hong Kong Cancer Fund. And in this excerpt, you'll hear how the Cancer st- uh, Fund started and Sally's thoughts on Hong Kong. And here she starts with a funny memory from her wedding to Robert Lowe. It was very funny because the photographer thought that the armor, uh, the housekeeper, Ah Kwan, was Robert's mother. So she, he kept on insisting that she was pulled forward so that she could be in the picture with us. <laughs> it was just too funny for words. And we had the most wonderful um, in the Oliver Messel suite in, on the roof um, in Dorchester uh, party with all our chums. And of course, Robert was part of our community. You know, he was, he was so British. Um, so that was it. I arrived in uh, as a married lady. Uh, we lived in the old uh, the house. We were given a floor, uh, which was absolutely amazingly spoiling. And um, one day, very soon after I'd arrived, I was only 22, um, my mother-in-law beckoned me and she said, you've been caught cleaning the bathroom. And I said, well, that's how I was brought up. And and she said, no, 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 that's not your role in life. Your role is to go out into the community and and serve the community. And I, that was the very best thing that anyone ever could have done for me because it was the greatest blessing. And, you know, it's now over 50 years since I've been working for the community. But... I've, I wondered, I thought, mm, I have no knowledge of Chinese. I, where do I begin? And I was very lucky I started um, as a volunteer, which I was for 25 years, at the Duchess of Kent Children's Hospital. And that teaches you, I mean, they were halo-pelvic um, uh, cases, and it teaches you to understand courage, um, compassion, I mean, it was just the most amazing time that I had. And Sister Barbara, who ran it, um, taught me something that was so important. It's lived with me ever since. And that's never sell pity or fear. And I think that's one of the greatest uh, gifts she gave me because, you know, now that I have the cancer fund, you know, I equally do not. I don't. I want to be positive. It, it's kept me very, very conscious. Like It's easy to make money if you sell pity and fear. But if you sell positivity, you you know, everything else is, it falls into place. And I mean, it was anything goes, there were lots of things happening. And I got roped into so many, uh, so many, many things that were incredible. I helped with the first Miss Hong Kong. I started a little um, interior decorating uh, company with Nelly and Kenneth Fung, product design. I I worked uh, for TVB, you know, as a, a, well, I was a volunteer, but, you know, they they wanted me to do some of the decorating within the the director's uh, areas. Again, with Nelly and Kenneth, um, basically they were steering it, I helped start the uh, first arts festival, 
and that was very interesting. Well, it was the first arts festival that became the arts festival it is today. And then, and again, you know, there were freedom swimmers coming in from Vietnam. And so I was, again, instrumental in helping to start treats. And we would take them out on a, the adventure ship, although I don't know quite why we did that, because poor things, they'd had a rough ride coming over on the boats, but they didn't seem to be frightened. I then was, uh, I, I think that, that was about that time that we started a family, um, and uh, I was very blessed to have a beautiful daughter. And... I remember my girlfriend Chrissy Reed and I went to the Marinol Conference to buy some uh, children's quilts for the bed. And standing outside literally was a Catholic priest, an American girl, and he had two um, refugees with him and a sewing machine. They'd been turned out of the, they'd been turned out. So the next thing, we opened a workshop for illegal uh, immigrants in in Nathan Road. I don't quite know wh why we did, but we did. <laughs> and it kept me out of the shops. It kept me in it kept me busy. And then that and, and people friends would say, "Well, why are you doing this? Because you know, it's never going to end." And my idea was that we'd teach them how to use sewing machines and then they'd move off and they would be able to have they would have a uh, a, a skill to go to the factories. And then Luckily, uh, the government um, said that anyone who came forward, um, uh, they would get a, a, an ID card. So we were able to close that. And then finally, enough, Nori, I must tell you, because I'm a great radio lover. I listen to the radio all the time. And I was listening to Chris Hilton who was interviewing someone at the evangelist home. And she was saying that the children are not... Uh, adoptable and that was very sad and um, I thought about it and by that stage we had two gorgeous girls and uh, of two and four and I thought you know here I have a home and I have security and and a wonderful life and friends and so I I wrote to them and they asked me to go and see them and they said that they had a list of children that might you know, fit the bill around the same age as our children. And so when I went, this little boy came in and he was Superman. I mean, he had all the children chasing him. I mean, he was going to rule the world. And I, I said, mm, I'm not sure. And then there was a little girl sitting on the chair next to me and she was the most unattractive child. She had cross eyes. She was dribbling. She did look mentally challenged, but my heart went out to her and she came over and she gave me her colouring book. And I said, I'd like to try. I'd like to try. And they said, we've had so many, um, we've tried with so many uh, families and she has these sort of fits. And I said, but something tells me that I really must try. And they said, well, if you take her, you have to take her sister. So too. So I went wow. I went home and I said to my darling husband, What would you think if we doubled our family overnight? And he said, Hmm Well, it wasn't as if I was adopting. 
you know, uh, fostering, I, they, I had to leave them. They were in a, in a very, very good place. I mean, the evangelist home is wonderful. And it's, you know, it's in apartments with house mothers. And they go to school in, you know, at school, it's not within the uh, campus. So, you know, they live as as any other child would, but without parents. So we had them on a Friday afternoon and till a Monday morning. And so I would uh, collect them and bring them home. And I was auntie, so that um, Emma and Melissa were not, there wasn't any jealousy. And we had the most wonderful years. And little Sufan, who, you know, was very challenged, all she needed was love. I mean, her eyes came back. Um, you know, they we we saw doctors, and she her eyes came back to normal. She stopped dribbling. She was happy, bubbly. Today, I'd like to say that Sume, the eldest, is married, and she's in Washington, and she's a graphic designer, and very successful. And Sufan is in Australia, and she is a social worker. So you know, one really believes that. I mean, oh, I've got one, one was so yeah. blessed. And now I suppose the start of my life, uh, this part, the last part of my life, if I still have a few minutes, is the last 35 years of my life when I nursed a girlfriend who was given three months to live, Nikki Thomas. She lived for seven months and with cancer, she had cancer of the stomach and she was only in her late 30s. Three children, oh, so young. and very, very young. Anyway, it was a, a privilege for me to see how she handled her her cancer, and how she had positive thoughts all around the room. She started painting um, and writing poetry, and you know this was an incredible time for me. There was no. At the time, there was no information and no support, so it was just all medicine, and um, and that was very distressing for me. But she seemed to amazingly to attract healers, people who came from nowhere. Um, I learned about you know gem healers, hands-on healers, Reiki, you name it. I mean, they came and they made a difference. They made a very big difference. So sadly, when she died, uh, and I, I have to say that in, in my life, um, that part of my life, I feel someone has definitely been pulling my strings because the week after she died, I was asked by Swa and by the Hong Kong U if I would help put on a cancer conference. And I thought... I've never done anything like this before, but yes, why not? And I remember walking out of the Regent Hotel, and I remember looking up at the clouds and saying, I hear you, Nikki, I'm on the job. And at the same week, the same week, which does, it is spooky, I was called by a girl called Wendy Ecclesley, who had been a can survivor and had been running a, um, a, a little hotline herself, and she asked me to go and have uh, coffee at, in Nathan Road. And then she asked me, please, will you start a support group? And so I said, yes. And we started 
uh, Can Survive, which was our first uh, support group. The money is left over from the uh, the conference that was about thirty thousand dollars. I went to the university and I said, "Look, you guys can always get fellowship money and things like that, but I want to start the Hong Kong Cancer Fund." And they said, "Yes, okay." So I that got was the first seed that money. Was, yes, wow. and and that was it. And I worked out of a dining, a doctor's dining room in Blue Pole Road, in the basement, and lived on cheese and um, and pickled sandwiches every day, and. It was incredible. We were given, I mean, in a very short space of time, we were given an office. Um, and I started with the information. So I plagiarized like mad. I took from everywhere. I took from Australia. I took from America. I took from England. And, and we did the first um, publications of, we have now 36 publications, hard copy, uh, in Chinese. So, you know, that was a big start. But then there was the problem of how do we get these publications to people who are just being diagnosed? Because, you know, there was no internet in those days, no, you know, nothing like that. So I, I talked to a doctor and the Prince of Wales Hospital allowed us to start a cancer patients resource centre. Well, once we had done that, it was meant to be Queen Mary Hospital, but they weren't weren't ready for us. But once this word, the word went out, we were asked to do a uh, cancer patients resource centre in every major hospital with an oncology unit. So there were seven in the end, and um, that's where it all began. And you know, I we've gone from strength to strength. Sally, what a fantastic legacy, and you keep doing this work to serve our community. Now, one thing that, you know, our guests who come on the program have throughout their life demonstrated the Lion Rock spirit. Ah. So what is the Lion Rock spirit to you? What does it mean to you, and how have you applied it in the different areas of your life? Passion and determination become powerful tools in the drive to make progress. And I think facing challenges with a positive attitude, um, it really is. And being actively involved is really, again, very powerful. And having the courage, I mean, I didn't think I was very courageous at the time. I just, you know, I just think I had um, all my mother's qualities and the support of the family. I I've really appreciate my mother-in-law because she pointed the direction of me um, and it's been 55 years of community service and I've loved every minute of it. And that's so true. You were caught cleaning the bathroom but then <laughs> <laughs> she told you not to and, and you need to serve the community and here you are continuing to, to do so. Sally, finally, let's talk about music now ah. and let's end the program with, with a song that's of significance to you that you can share with our listeners today. Well, you know, I thought about this, you know, there's there's only one song for me, and it's, it really goes back to the 60, late 60s when, you know, I made the transition from England to Hong Kong and when um, there was flower power in the, in, in the parks. And um, so I think the Beatles, uh, All You Need Is Love, is, you know, it says everything for me. And so that's what I would choose. Meanwhile, Sally, thank you so much for your time. I really, really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you. Well, thank you.